0: Welcome, everyone, to the Defenders podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete.
1: I don't care what you're doing down here in your stupid tape thing. I just came to talk. The Defenders podcast by Fantastic Geek for the season finale, episode 108, the self-titled The Defenders is sponsored by Substance Strip Miners. You slay the dragon, we'll load your wagon.
0: And Pete, in this, the final episode of The Defenders, or is it, we want to say thank you as always to those who have supported us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. They are our own dragon bone lifeblood substance that keeps us going.
1: I was going to say they are our defenders, um, everybody who contributes, whether it's at the uh, the bare bones uh, level or whether you're at the full shall Lao the undying Mary Kirk package um, is helping us with bandwidth with every sort of expense you could possibly think of to keep the lights on around here and all the fantastic content coming whether it's inhumans whether it's star trek discovery whether it's the punisher whether it's agents of shield we got a big fall and an even bigger winter plan for you you guys you patrons and listeners in general it could not happen without you
0: if you have found this podcast on its own little Defenders feed, we hope you join us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, where the party will continue after this. I should mention, Pete, we still are going to do kind of a Defenders wrap-up episode, right? Absolutely. But after that, when it's time to, to put our Defenders toys away for a little while, I, I am so excited over, just for what's going to happen for the next four months. And and part of it is repeating you, Pete. But you know, in humans, for as imperfect as it was at the movies. You know, Marvel TV, always fun. To have Star Trek back on TV, fine, it's going to be internet TV, whatever, whatever. Welcome to the 21st century. The buzz only continues to build with that. Little little nuggets continue to fall off the table our way, too. We'll save that for our Discovery podcast. Uh, New York Comic Con is going to be bananas. Cannot wait yep. to see people there. And, uh, you know, then Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. returning likely in November. It's this is the best of times for what we do, Pete.
1: We're doing more than ever. And again, it is not possible without the people on the other end of these microphones. So, again, hats off to you. Uh, We'll keep doing our thing. You keep doing your thing.
0: Well, Pete, let's do this thing for Defenders Episode 108.
1: Let's crack open the case files to see what our defenders had on the docket in this episode. We begin, Matt, immediately where we left off, uh, Midland Circle. Uh, We have discussion here, uh, Luke really leading it about not wanting to uh, go through with this to blow up a building, the collateral damage that could ensue.
0: Yeah, part of me kind of felt like didn't we just leave this party? Yeah. Uh, also, uh, this isn't this is a normal place in many TV episodes where you're going to get a recap of where things are going on, but part of me was also like this is Netflix. Do we need that kind of do we need that kind of recap? At any rate, Pete, Luke says that he can't go along with the bombing plot. Claire calls the plot 100% insane, but surprise surprise is pro bombing. Uh, And indeed, Colleen restates it all. Just in case we're not clear, she says that this is going to be us uh, or them taking down the building to take down the hand or the hand will take down New York. Are you clear on the central issues as we start this episode, Pete?
1: One could argue it's entirely too convenient that they've been able to empty out the building save for the three remaining baddies, fingers of the hand. Um, But as we later see, of course, there's all sorts of henchmen that follow them into the hole, uh, the dragon pit, as it were, to steal from another popular um, mythologized show on right now. But everything's led to here. And we've teased so much into this location. By the time that we finally get the conflict playing out there, it, it feels truly earned.
0: Well, it is time to uh, to get a move on. Jessica states, uh, essentially laying out the plan for life after the miniseries. Let's get this S over with and get on with our lives. Uh, Luke, around this point, is ready to commit if the bombing only affects those who are hand monsters Pete, I have to say I giggled at the phrase hand monsters every single time. I know that they are monsters. I know they are the hand.
1: Who work for the hand, hand puppets?
0: Ooh. Uh, yes. Okay. That's the only, uh, that's the only logical outcome there. Uh, we do, uh, at this point get the, uh, the title sequence. Uh, it's, it's all the New York show people, all of those, all those folks Shown back up again in the credits. Uh, this episode, by the way, directed by Theron Blackburn, a Brit who has done one Iron Fist, two Daredevils, and a bunch of British TV, including Luther and Doctor Who.
1: Well, it's not the full house of the director that we had before, who who had done all of the Defenders feeder shows and and then onto this, but that's certainly an impressive hand.
0: Uh, after the credits, we are, as I called it in my notes, Pete, 30 stories down. Since so much of this is at Midland Circle, let me just take you, Pete, and you listeners through my kind of geography here. We got 30 stories down. We got the uh, the lobby. In a little bit, we're going to have the uh, – what do I call it? Uh, the uh, – uh, not the elevator. There's the service floor, as I call it. Just Just little ways to make sure that the geography is clear. Regardless, we start 30 stories down, Electra in red and black, marveling at the dragon bones. Get it there, Pete? Marveling?
1: I love how Gal comes in at this point and contextualizes what it is, that these creatures, the dragons, once roamed uh, the green valleys of her home. Now they're just fossils. Um, Unfortunately, we don't get a whole lot more clarification. Um there's implied uh Shaolau bones there, but not definitive once uh Gao begins to tangle with uh Danny. It's it's not a big beef. Um we've got uh, machine gun toting extras at this point who are being directed and Gao is, is treating this like a, a victory, you know, that, uh, they have what they need. They need to remove the substance with urgency. Um, we're not quite clear at this point in the episode is the substance, you know, the liquid, is it in the bones? Um, you know, I like to think it's the the bone marrow. The way later on they're they're sawing sections of the uh, of the bones, but um, you know they they have what they need, and they're gonna strip it out. And whatever happens to the city, and they're apparently quite confident it's it's going to pancake in on itself.
0: Couple of Gow notes here. I love her line. Delivered almost with reverence about the threats that are above, the devil of hell's kitchen, the man with unbreakable skin, the unyielding woman. We could use some more of that, Pete. Unyielding women there. Absolutely. Uh, But Gao also says that the taking of the bones will result in the further decay of the city. I'm a little confused at how literal that is. Like, if you take out these bones from this relatively small area, you know, the building is, I I would say, less than a city block by, by quite a bit. If you do this excavation, what, will all of Manhattan slowly earthquake away? Are we talking all five boroughs? Is it all still literally? Is it, to me, it's kind of, we had this great image in the first episode of, you know, all right bad guys light it up and all of manhattan at the very least shakes and i mean heck i think references made it's felt into queens and so on and so forth but the city shakes and the notion that this is this 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 man-made thing what could possibly do it okay it's some of the digging or whatever they don't fully get into it but now it's like and we take all the bones and that's how cities fall help me out pete
1: magic matt magic unexplained magic these bones have some sort of uh magic property in addition to physically holding up what they are there's there's some essence new york uh has been called by executive producer jeff loeb the fifth defender um and certainly there is a reverence for the city on these shows and it's it's being both respected and disrespected. Respected by our heroes who are trying to prevent uh, both their loved ones and innocents from dying. Disrespected by the hand, in that this respected area that uh, is important enough to have these dragon bones, whether that's through some kind of teleportation or at one point was um, a, a stopover for. Uh, Kun Lun, um, it's it's still a bad situation.
0: Who would have thought that for all the talk about New York bagels being improved by the New York water, that it's actually some of the dragon water in the dirty water (laughs) making the bagels so good?
1: Danny. Nonetheless, overhears this all and uh, we shift back up to the lobby there where Colleen um, alongside her very easily acquired C4 has (laughs) the uh, the other um, needle in the haystack, the uh, blueprints that the architect John Raymond had drawn up the plan to, uh, collapse the building in on itself, which side note, Matt, I know when I need to get to the bottom of a, of a massive 30 story hole, um, I build a huge structure on top of it.
0: Uh, I hear your criticism. I don't disagree with your criticism, but I dig the conceit, the power play, of we need to dig 30 stories down so we're going to build a building i mean how high would you say that building is certainly 40 50 stories right probably in the 40s something like that so i kind of like this conceit of we're gonna hide the whole thing right under a brand new shining building that gets a little press. It gets talked about in the architecture section of, uh, of the daily bugle, the New York times, maybe <laughs> even the, uh, Oh, what is it Pete that we've been with all this time? The,
1: not the observer, um, the, the bulletin. <laughs> the, the,
0: the, yeah. The, the New York bulletin and all that kind of razzmatazz. Meanwhile, it's a ticking bomb, which by the way, Pete, I want to point out, Colleen also has the explosives timer because, duh of course you keep the explosive timer right by the c4 in the neighborhood harlem precinct as we discussed last episode um also kind of interesting in this lobby scene here the group is kind of a teaming to figure out who's going to go get danny that's the defenders and who's going to actually you know blow up the building and defeat the hand that's going to be colleen and claire
1: i found it interesting yeah that as well but i found it interesting we came back to luke not as he's so often presented as you know the the bulletproof man but here referencing basic training police training um which is not something that's come up with this group um and for all we know they're they're unaware of it uh we know that Misty has some knowledge of it, and certainly Claire, who is there, but uh, that this is basic training, that they taught them how to run from the bombs, not set them. Oh, yeah, and he's bulletproof, so he's not going to be best used in that situation. And yeah, it's really something that um, Claire and Colleen are the one charged with uh, packing the explosives.
0: Just as the plan gets finalized, the police show up with lots and lots and lots of lights. Uh, The story then moves to the exterior of the building, where Captain Stryber is coordinating the perimeter lockdown. But Pete, it gets worse. You won't believe this. Misty Knight has arrived. She's just gotten word, shucks. All that C4 was stolen. Stryber figures that there are three guesses who took them, the implication being uh, Luke, Jessica, and Matt. And Pete, they call for bomb squad. ESU. And just in case the story needed some more gas, Stryver says that Misty Knight is indeed in charge, if she still works here by morning.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, again, another scene-chewing scene for uh, Striver there, and uh, Simone Missick is certainly up to the challenge in a really complex uh, character arc for her.
0: Would you say, Pete, that you'd give her one thumbs up or two thumbs up? Oh, wait, sorry. She's only got one thumb.
1: Well, listen, man. You know, there's there's a hand laying around somewhere.
0: That's true. The thumb is still there. Like uh, the the hand. <laughs> hand. Back at the Harlem police station, Karen and Trish stare at Misty's staring wall of artfully arranged evidence. <laughs> Pete, I love, just as a side note, I love that in... A city like New York you can have this mixture of crime scene analysis and art installation at the same place it's you know we we are defined by our art in so many ways aren't we
1: it is it was nice to see these two characters get together and we've not had a ton of cross permutation between these casts and to get The two media personalities among them, uh, Karen looking over the wall there as a print reporter and, of course, uh, Trish as somebody on radio in, you know, a little more high speed media, uh, that and their investiture in
0: the players who are on the scene there. They talk about friends. Matt isn't always a good friend, says uh, says Karen. And then Trish says Jessica is a good friend, but not in a, tr- in a traditional sense. Uh, it, it's a it's a heartfelt moment between the two of them. It really is. It's appreciated. It's well well played out. Pete, I have no snark for it. It's just good stuff.
1: And we get a larger sense of how a. <sighs> What do do we want to call this? Uh, A plan, if not a conspiracy, for the hand's ultimate endgame in New York City could happen. Let's remember that their their time schedule moved up quite a bit at the beginning of this series. Uh, Gao was speaking to Alexandra about permits and about how they were going to proceed with the mayor's office. And then... You know, it became more important because of Alexandra's situation with her out of the way. And with that door unlocked now, um, Gao and the others know they're up against it with these defenders that they did not count on.
0: Well, parallel to that, we have Foggy and Malcolm entering the, uh, the scene in the Harlem police station, um, Big crossover moment, Pete. Can we can we imagine, you know, Foggy and Malcolm? They were just playing, you know, checkers. Now they come into the scene. Uh, but Pete, they have big news. They just overheard all available backup has been called to Midland Circle. Just want to point out, side note, right around New Year's, I read a great article somewhere online. Talked about how the NYPD preps for New Year's Eve. They actually have plans where everybody does not, you know, all available backup does not go to one place just in case there's. diverting action and all the police aren't in 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 one location and whatnot that said it's all it's a perfectly fine scene just figured i'd inject a little uh a little reality into it pete take us down to midland circle wait is that a door there pete
1: that is a door matt and uh because we've got a character who can sense the movement going on below and the mechanical something on the other side of the wall uh but they never use it as a door instead luke just peels it like a can of sardines which you have to wonder how they ever accessed it based on its presentation
0: i mean it's probably got hidden uh uh, hinges and and whatnot i'll tell you this though pete jessica is incredulous about the fact that they are there a week ago who would have thought it This is where Matt says he's happy that they're a team. He's happy that they found each other. Luke reminds him, though, no hugs. And uh, they enter the elevator and descend.
1: And to think that we are 12 minutes into this episode, we're heading down into the hole and the conflict is coming. And I paid quite a bit of attention to the time left once what happens down there has concluded. Um, This is about a half-hour segment that is going to swallow up uh, what goes on in the hole.
0: Well, out of the hole, Pete, we head to what I call the service floor at Midland Circle. Colleen and Claire are working together. Uh, There's a nice moment where Colleen says Claire is a hero, just the same as everyone else. Uh, They enter the, the service room, if you will, ready to plant the bombs, Terminator 2 style. Uh, But Pete, Colleen hears something, and she draws her sword.
1: In the parking garage with sirens wailing here, another siren, Misty Knight, is looking to gain access into the Midland Circle uh, building proper. Uh, But it's not okay, Matt. This stuff is not okay.
0: She takes out her phone. She's going to call someone. It might feel like a little nugget of a scene, but I like how it's about to loop back together. Uh, into the service room we go. Bakuto is there, sword drawn. He banters with Colleen for a little bit about how their fates are aligned. Pete, just as ring-a-ding-ding, Claire gets a call. She was previously hidden. Bakuto takes notice. We get the sword fight beginning. Uh, Misty calls a second time. This time Claire takes the phone call. A little bit of an info dump here. Misty knows the bombs are in there. And that there's a fancy fight going on. And uh, also she gets hung up on Misty takes out that gun ready to enter the building.
1: Yeah, she wants to know, too, what's happening in the background, given what she is hearing. So, again, the urgency is further amped up. It's not just that they have the C4. It's that uh, Claire and Colleen would seem to be in on this as well Um, in over their heads, really.
0: Thirty stories down, crews are sewing apart the dragon bones. Danny takes a few out. He's been lurking in the shadows. Uh, He also walks backward a lot, which is a great way to have him move through the scene but still face the camera. It's also a fantastic way to reveal that Gao is behind him. Uh, Gao notes that uh, these beasts have given both of them so much, uh, which is a nice reminder. I hadn't forgotten, but it was just a nice reminder of Danny battled a dragon to become the iron fist. Uh, but Gao saying eternal life trumps all Pete.
1: Yeah. And I was half ready here for her to light up her fist like a lightsaber and have them go at it together. I'm like, wait a minute. Does she have one too? Does she have an evil iron fist? Does she have a, a titanium fist? What, what's she going to do instead? She's still just uh, magic. Um, Which is fine, but um, you know, to round back to the discussion that I referenced before, uh, Danny wants to know this is this is what it's all been about. He's he's incredulous that it it's this plot that they desecrate Shao Lao, and um, she says that it was you who punched him in the heart so if anything i i just wish we had a little bit more exposition here like did his magic bones wind up here after danny defeated him is that merely okay by by gobbling up the resources from these deceased dragons you desecrate the one that gave me my iron fist back in kunlun I, I just wish we had a little bit more clarity there, but just because it's so tantalizing, you know, these pathways and, and stunningly structured and thought out that, OK, we're going to have this hole and the hallways are going to be the dragon skeletons.
0: Yeah, it certainly is a stunning. Uh, I was going to say location. I mean, technically, it, it is of course a set, but uh, stunning place what? to be.
1: No, they're thirty stories down under a building they they built for this production. Matt,
0: <laughs> ah, Pete, the magic of the movies and the TV shows as is, um, Gao is able to uh, to get Danny a little uh, a little angry here as she uh, reminds him that he's alone because. Just if you weren't clear on the matter, his parents are finito in large part because of Gao. Uh, Danny swings and strikes Gao hard. Uh, With that, they know that the elevator is on the way. Uh, And Danny is ready to attack more, but Murakami takes him out. Electra is suddenly there too. And uh, with that, Pete, take us to the elevator.
1: Yeah, we have our heroes on the way down. They can sense, Matt can sense how much further seems to be left and then um he's breaking down the particular players and the odds that they face the ones they faced in the garage uh Elektra, um, and this is clearly cast in this scene as uh long odds And um, a necessary discussion for the viewer to have heading into this, which makes what happens all the more realistic in a show that's
0: not always real. There's a a phrase used in this scene by Charlie Cox that it's a portion of his accent, which I found interesting. I don't think that it is his intended accent wobbling. It's something I've noticed in the past, but this kind of really, really uh, struck me. He describes Murakami as the goi who speaks Japanese. And there was just that, that interesting pronunciation of guy, kind of a two-syllable goi, goi. Um, I
1: didn't notice it the first time he said it, but now that you're pointing it out, I've heard, I've heard. <laughs> I have heard. <laughs> Uh, similar, uh, patterns. And again, you know, understanding that this is, uh, a man who speaks in a different accent. Um, it's understandable that, uh, that that might happen. They're, they're not perfect as far as performers when it comes to that, even though they've, they work very hard to, uh, to pull that away.
0: I don't even know that it is necessarily a mistake. Um, I had done a little search. I didn't find any articles written on you know Charlie Cox discussing his dialect and accent training. But it, it kind of made me wonder, you know, there are so many accents in New York. Did he sit down with somebody who said, you know, technically, not a lot of people would hear it, Charlie. But technically, somebody who's grown up in Hell's Kitchen, they might have these particular twists to their vowel sounds versus somebody in Queens or somebody in Harlem or somebody in 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 you know uh, a couple neighborhoods over wouldn't Uh, again barring any other evidence I'm just going to go with it's just part of fantastic prep for this character
1: you know you're talking about an Englishman who has played an Irishman um, and here he's playing uh, the the son of uh, an irishman in hell's kitchen so i i think you know not to belabor the point um i i just like that we we see a little bit of uh you know the performance coming through i don't think to a detriment
0: Well, as the story continues, all our bad guys are waiting. The elevator arrives. But Pete, only Jessica Jones is there. She doesn't give an S about what they're doing in their secret cave thing, kind of like you said at the top. Jess is there to talk, especially about uh, how Elektra started this by coming into Jessica's office, bringing the bad, bad kung fu party.
1: Yeah, and no sooner does she face her down then to reveal that she's not alone and of course matt and luke get involved in the party there before we're back up with colleen and Bakudo.
0: indeed Pete, up on the service floor colleen says she isn't tired despite Bakudo's continued offer to experience endless life with him uh there, there's a great moment too my goodness can we please have I don't know, Misty Knight in Iron Fist Season 2 with Colleen Wing. It's almost like they're planning on it. But there's this great close-up of Colleen, um, you know, focus super tight on her face, grit on her face, I don't need you anymore. (laughs) Really, you know, we've gotten over making fun of Danny in Iron Fist Season 1, but it's a reminder why if Danny Rand is name number one for Iron Fist, Colleen Wing is name 1A. She's just a phenomenal character played by a phenomenal actress.
1: I love the little uh, move there as she slides backwards and uh, plants on the ground there. Uh, You know, we've had Jessica Jones called the unyielding woman, but there are quite a few unyielding women In this series, in this universe, in this episode in particular, and again, we further redeem Iron Fist. All of the unresolved conflict from that show, from these two characters, comes to a head here.
0: Uh, you mentioned unyielding women. We also have Claire taking out two guys with a wrench. So Claire is actually in this moment, and it might be apples and oranges since Bakudo is a ageless, you know, ninja wonder or whatever. But just if you're keeping pure score, Claire took out two guys. Colleen has yet to take out one guy. Claire two, Colleen nothing. Uh, the fight pauses a little bit when a knife is thrown into a baddie colleen also gets a slice across the back because pete anytime you sing swing a sword uh you got to get the person like on their clothes maybe leave a scratch on their back nothing too serious <laughs> um but the knifed bad guy is not down for the count although he is once misty knight shoots first i use herself as nypd later killing the guy and pulling a gun on Bakuto. pete going into this episode i knew one thing and one thing only about what was going to happen before Defenders ended. Do you know what it was? Thanks Entertainment Weekly. Misty Night robot arm. So the entire time I'm I'm like put your arm down. Shoot from the <laughs> hip. No.
1: When's it when's it coming off? When's it coming off? I mean, if you knew enough about the character from the comic story um, that she has a robot arm, you had to just like the number of things that are out there about these characters, you know, I think of Luke and Jessica having a child together, um, that they're going to make the decision to, in some way, parallel the, the comic creation. Um, it's silly not to. So, uh, it was just a matter of time and here you've got sword play and she shows up, but yeah, Old uh old spoiler free Matt got spoiled by Entertainment Weekly with a with a um, Luke Cage season two exclusive of her with her s- cyber sophisticated Danny Rand uh, Enterprises million dollar robo arm.
0: Hashtag wanna colson, but that's a story for another day. thirty stories down um pete as this fight had begun in in a previous scene i was a little down on you know it's a lot of quick cuts the lighting isn't particularly bright not that it seemed cheap it was just not epic here is your epic moment a long take fight the camera moving in 365 degrees not just turning but moving big long take nay pete it is even a little imperfect i think a drop of water gets on the lens well i know a drop of water gets on the lens there it makes me wonder if this was nonetheless the best take and if so that makes me love it for its imperfections altogether the shot ending with our four defenders physically joining up together albeit danny walking backwards into the cruise the group at first pete it's defending time
1: yeah this is your avengers moment we've got them all together and it's sold so perfectly in the locale with these players. And what do you do? You light that fist up. You you drop the needle on your uh, Wu Tang uh, 36 chambers, 45 Matt. And you know what? Better watch out. You bets protect your neck.
0: I wasn't particularly crazy with the inclusion of that song. I've got no beef with hip-hop, Pete. West Coast, East Coast rappers, it's all good to me. I just kind of felt like the the power of this particular track didn't lend itself to the power of the scene. Regardless, though, uh, one takeaway that we get from this, after bad guys shoot uh, shoot their guns at Luke, who uh, stops the bullets, jumps over Jessica to protect her, uh, her quip is, remember this? And Luke says, just like old times, Pete, there's that special sizzle in the air.
1: Yeah, they're definitely seeding a future uh, between the two of them, which had me thinking on first blush. Um, is is Claire going to make it out of this episode in the way that they've coupled her and Luke uh, off at this point? However, I, I got to, uh, you know, uh, have beef with you, Matt, over uh, not appreciating the choice of a song that has a lyric. Um, let let me read here for you from the "Protect Your Neck" lyrics, uh, and maybe. Uh, listeners heard it as they were watching. Maybe they didn't. Uh, But as the rhyme goes, Matt terrorized the jam like troops in Pakistan swinging through your town like your neighborhood Spider-Man that we would get that in a Marvel cinematic TV show and that Sony didn't, you know, suddenly pop up in Midland circle and demand, <laughs> and and demand, uh, you know restitution. That's why I think, and and the Wu has has been honored throughout these um, defenders feeder shows. We had Method Man show up in Luke Cage. We had an Iron Fist episode directed by uh, RZA, um, Certainly with his kung fu chops, and now we get Protect Your Neck in this. Matt, what's next? Um, Jessica Jones season two uh, she battles Martin Skrelly and gets back the two million uh, dollar one-off copy of the Wu-Tang Clan's uh, latest album who knows
0: Pete all I know is you are regular ODP but back to the uh, back to the episode here we head back to the service room Uh, misty is taken out pretty quickly knocked aside by bakuto to my surprise upon first viewing still has two arms uh side note i was also operating under the uh misinformation that she loses a hand not an arm so i had that surprise to look forward to um bakuto here is gleeful and mustache twirling in his villainy ramon rodriguez has not been better playing this role than he is right now it is nothing but compliment to say that he he has that mustache twirling bad guy villainy it's his moment claire is about to get sliced uh this pete is when misty saves her losing an entire arm in in a process holy cats
1: yeah, um had that not been in her comic backstory beforehand, it it certainly would have been shocking. Is it a little bit of fan service? I, I don't think you can argue against that. But again, it's a moment we need to see in the development of the character. And if we're going to get the daughters of the dragon, the you know long storied team up between. Uh, Misty and uh, Colleen, you know, you've, you've got to give her that uh, robotic appendage.
0: Well, I, I will disagree that it is merely fan service. I think that there are so many great supporting characters in the Marvel Netflix slice of things. One of the unfortunate facts is many of those supporting characters are just normal people. So you'd be hard-pressed to have Karen Page put on spandex and a mask Uh, and go fight alongside daredevil there are other scenarios where that might work but that's a separate story entirely um to take a misty Knight and and you know certainly an able police detective but to now give her the robot arm which could be a superpower of sorts as the stories unfold that kind of elevates her we already have colleen at kind of super martial arts, not quite kind of Batman level, but you could have her out in a fight such as this. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to be Luke Cage holding concrete, but we're in the process of elevating Misty Knight to be a superhero.
1: Yeah. And how do you come up with somebody who could possibly be on the level? That's been the discussion amongst these supporting players. um, You know, whether it's, Claire, who's got to be told by expert fighter Colleen that, you know, with saving lives, she's she's every bit the equal. She saved as many lives as as these people with Misty, the increasingly out of favor cop um, to get a robot arm and to, you know, not be a powered person, but to have strength beyond a normal uh, woman is certainly going to up her auntie uh, dramatically.
0: Well, back to the scene already in progress. Uh, shortly moments after Bakuto takes Misty's arm, he gets first his neck sliced, then his head removed for his troubles. Uh, Colleen certainly, you know, mm-hmm. defeating the big brother slash father figure in order to uh, to become... Fully empowered on her own. Bakudo
1: Third... beheaded.
0: Ooh, Bakudo beheaded. I like it. Thirty stories down, Matt and Electra are now fighting. Uh, Matt hears the bomb beeping. By the way, I should mention uh, either before Bakudo died or after he fell on the button. Pete, now we have added urgency, important in a season finale. Uh, the bomb is, you know, is ticking. Um, the the fight at this point becomes the defenders versus Electra who is uh, temporarily sidelined. Matt sends Luke, Jessica and Danny up the elevator saying that he thinks he can get through to Electra. And uh, as this particular portion of the scene wraps up, I loved the visual of some, some leftover goons trying to make their way up to the elevator.
1: Yeah. That after Matt has pulled uh,
0: Danny over
1: and told him something, which on second viewing uh, once you know what it is, you whether it's <laughs> it's mental or you actually hear it, it it's there. I, I think of uh, um, the the reveal from uh, season six of Game of Thrones about Jon Snow's parentage, and then hearing it. Um, You know uh, allowed with what his actual name is at the very end of season seven uh but yeah to to put them in the elevator and then have them bracing as they're climbing up the uh the the mesh wire there to get into that service elevator uh great staging uh throughout this fight
0: it is Pete. That's that's not something you might learn day one in intro to film class, but great staging can make the shot. Uh, back we go to Matt and Electra. They banter and they fight about love and hope. Uh, Matt says it's not too late to stop fighting, just like before, and then she retorts with, "With uh, with uh, before he let her die." This portion of the story it is earned absolutely it is a fitting climax for what we have seen from two seasons of daredevil uh this season here of defenders their particular story Now, that said pete it feels a little slow for me particularly as electra monologues that the hand didn't turn her into black sky she is who she is she's always been this way since her first life um but the scene kind of abruptly stops. Matt says they can live. She throws the sword, stops the elevator. Pete added urgency. Now there's a ticking bomb and no way to get out from it.
1: Yeah, and it takes a moment to to fully understand the consequences of her actions for others. But uh, Electra Nachios is true to her character throughout here. She's always been this nihilistic firecracker. And she is going off here, Matt, not just on Matt Murdock, but on the rest of the team who's attempting to escape.
0: Chaos is an elevator. Um, And (laughs) onto that elevator, Danny intuits that it's about to drop. Uh, I, I will confess I'm a little unclear how the sword thrown to the winch of the elevator 30 stories down leads to a frayed line about 15 feet above the elevator itself but i digress i'm no i'm no architect like what's his name john raymond john raymond
1: you i'm no, no john you... Raymond. <laughs> you sir are no john raymond
0: um but there are some more baddies to fight including murakami who gets uh <laughs> pete i'm gonna read from my notes here murakami who gets thrown down a green screened hole yeah um, it...
1: It is not a uh, special effect uh, to to harken back off. It would have it would have been better with just the throw over the side, and then to see him moments later with the rebar, uh, you know, having punctured him. Um, but Matt, it is made up for by our boys being saved by a jumping and then uh, supportive jessica jones showing off the full scope of her power
0: i think that there occasionally have been moments in this mini series particularly in this episode where it's like matt does a whole bunch of really great like his focus is ninja fighting and then there's the superpowers as needed with hearing and whatnot and danny is You know, quite fit, quite good at martial arts, but he's got that super powered fist. And Luke is like incredibly strong and bulletproof. And Jessica Jones is also incredibly strong, but not a trained fighter. So I think there's occasionally been times where they don't know what to do with her. Here, though, Pete, Lady saves the day. And um, she, she does. good news that the heroes make it off the elevator in time. The elevator is left to fall. Pete, I could not wait to see how that elevator would come crashing down there. Big <laughs> boom, big moment where Matt looks back at it and realizes that he can't leave. Maybe that scene got cut. But of course, we're going to see the elevator crumpled in the background at some point. Hint, oh, we don't. I just well, kept waiting for the elevator to land and it didn't.
1: Back in the Death Star throne room here, um, it, it's it's wait, wait, still Pete,
0: Pete, Pete. We're not doing Star Wars this time. <laughs> we're we're still... doing a scene where the bad guy, the bad gal is trying to to banter and control our our young, uh, our young hero into crossing over to the dark side. It's totally yes. different.
1: And he's trying to bring her back because he still senses the light in her that she could not finish it before and uh where we differ from uh the great uh arcs and archetypes of the star wars saga is that she later retorts that she likes the game again this nihilistic side here the the sexual tension between them as well
0: yeah, I think that, as I've said before, I do not subscribe to Matt's take on her, that there's the good in her. You know, Pete, it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe I'm bringing baggage of, of you know, high school relationships or whatever to it, but it's like, Pete, this is the girl that he's going to try and fix, and he's just sure that if he just gives her a little bit more love and a little bit more guidance that he'll fix her. Matt, Meanwhile, there my is take...
1: no sigh-wielding... A uh, Spanish-speaking Greek woman who's been adopted by uh, a, a private, you know, army builder who cannot be saved.
0: <laughs> Pete, that's why you are ever the optimist. However, I am team, not exactly team Electra, but I buy what she says. Why is she toying with him like this? The game is fun. I see her as the sadist, and Matt. I I hope, I I don't mean this to be an inappropriate joke, Pete, but I I, I see him rather blinded by love through his heart eyes.
1: And I think that's what makes us gravitate to his character and the the possibility that somehow this couple might uh, turn it around. Um, While that's going on, we of course check back in at the police light soaked lobby to remind us there is a cordon uh outside and uh we get knowledge for luke and danny and colleen i'm sorry colleen is already with them um jessica that uh misty has uh suffered a great loss at the hands of Bakudo. uh
0: yes certainly is nice timing they all meet up at the exact same moment um nypd arrives guns on everyone calling for hands up luke stands in front of the cop and says i can't let this happen uh they are told by i believe colleen the building is about to explode i have to admit i feel like there's a slight lack of resolution from this moment you know guns on these people luke trying to, you know, trying to talk them down to what, you know, when we see them next, just to fast forward for a moment, explosion, our heroes have made it out. The police have made it out. I kind of feel like there's a little snippet missing somehow. I don't know how we go from guns drawn. No, I don't want to hear what you have to say about the building's about to explode to everybody gets out, but it is what it is. Pete, what happens next?
1: Well, Matt, you had talked about what's missing and what's missing is our, supporting defenders winding up at midland circle um i get it you within the context of the previous episode had had you know placed them again in this uh police headquarters uh in harlem in this precinct um for whatever reason they do not move them uh it it sure seemed like they would be heading to Midland circle at one point in this episode. And I couldn't have imagined it wasn't going to happen. And they listen to this over the radio. Um, so when you're saying there's no resolution of guns drawn down on most of our defenders up top uh, for them to hear the evacuation uh, miles away And to not be on hand for it with the collapse, I I feel is a missed opportunity, but you would not get the, or or I guess it would be harder to do the, you know, coming through the door scene later that is so obvious when Foggy and Karen stand up that Matt's not coming through it.
0: You have me wondering, and maybe this is kind of, pessimistic lowest common denominator, but I am wondering, was it maybe done for cost? I mean, Mm -hmm. the, the the police station is undoubtedly a set not to take away from it. That
1: thought had definitely occurred to me. It, it feels arrested development ish. Um, the fourth season of arrested development has one, maybe two scenes where all of the regular cast is together. Um, and it, it feels like that. I don't know that there's an answer, but you just wish for, for a building collapse happening. And again, part of that is the nature of those special effects and they're not, you know, sorry, listener, we're not really going to collapse a building in New York city for an eight part TV show. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, it feels more intimate than it should I don't know that that was the goal though
0: it I mean certainly I give the show credit for getting so many characters here and I don't envy the task here into the story I don't envy the task of trying to wrangle all the actors and have emotional moments for all the characters and so on and so forth but just some food for thought there um, we have a quick check-in with Matt and Electra, still fighting, still bantering. Matt noting that this is what they get for thinking that it could work. Uh, a bit closer to the elevator, but still 30 stories down. Murakami is bleeding, pierced with rebar, shocked as life is flowing out of him for the last time. Or is it? Uh, what's happening, he asks. Uh, Gao says, the end, and looks up. Um, on the street there's an explosion at lobby level our main heroes having made it out police pull back i liked the little detail of guy in ambulance closes the ambulance door to keep out presumably the dust and debris it, it felt incredibly honest just you know, i mean background recording, actor
1: recording this the day after um the the 16th commemoration of that is definitely done with that in mind um the idea of a, a tv show in new york collapsing a building um and possibly doing that practically i mean we see buildings that are you know uh demolished in uh you know Las Vegas and and other locales that they shoot it and they later use it for um, film and TV. But you know that that's not something that's that's done very very often. And uh, as it blows up and we return here with with Matt and and Electra. I don't know it it feels like there's a there's a meeting of the minds and the hearts with their fates seemingly assured.
0: Yeah, Matt and Electra kissing um our heroes are appropriately awestruck. I totally agree that the 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 scene has shades of 911. Um I, I think even there's look they they didn't blow up a real building for real that much is that much certainly not in in manhattan that much is clear i think the the amount of smoke and dust i mean unfortunately i think we can all say yeah we know that that much smoke and dust is uh is produced to me it also had an effect bonus which was to cover the collapse effect and i'm not even saying in terms of because the effect wasn't that great i think it would have been a bit It would have been a little inappropriate, regardless of when we watched this episode or when it came out in relation to 9-11, so on and so forth. I think it would have been a little inappropriate to have achingly, artistically, perfectly rendered building collapsing in New York, 9-11 style. The smoke there kind of just lets you be overwhelmed by what you're seeing. The characters are overwhelmed. And this is when Danny reveals that Matt never intended to leave. And Danny shares Matt's message, protect my city.
1: And it's a nice character moment which is followed up a little later in the episode um, and certainly sets a trajectory for him.
0: Back we go to the Harlem police station where our headlining characters are all reunited with the supporting characters, all except for the empty door, no Matt Murdock. And here, I mean, Eldon Henson, Deborah Ann Wall – they break our hearts without saying a word. This is just the two of them as actors feeling what these characters would feel. It is an absolute heartbreaking moment. And with that, we fade to black. There's a beat where we, we hold the darkness. I would argue, Pete, that is the end of The Defenders before we get some kind of lengthy epilogue
1: yeah there is definitely an epilogue vibe to it i would be really interested to know how many takes they went in order for them to get the pacing and the cadence of that scene with the way that foggy and karen stand up and the the camera lingers on them and their body language um juxtaposed against everybody else who is reuniting um, with their uh, important headlining character, it, it is a real work of art and it's it's a scene that I, I think we're going to hold on to with this show for some time until we see um, Matt Murdock again.
0: I'm going to argue in a little bit that the very last scene of the epilogue we should not have had at least in the epilogue uh in part because i think it takes away from the power of what you're describing with uh with eldon henson and deborah ann wall but hey let's talk about the epilogue we start with trish talk uh pete there's nothing like expositional news report um thank goodness we have a news reporter to catch us up on clean up Uh, how the cleanup continues the crisis is over a reminder i think with a little bit of a new yorker shrug life in new york city continues it's a new day crisis happened time to move on trish sees jessica enter the control room they go to commercial um here jessica is truly carrying the weight of the world on her she is resplendent in her numbness pete i don't uh, wish ill on Jessica Jones, but Kristen Ritter is never better than when Jessica Jones is desperately overwhelmed by how awful things are.
1: I'll disagree. I think her snark uh, always makes the character and and makes her you know maybe the best defender overall. Um, the the nebulousness of her uh, powers aside. Uh, but points off, Matt. We've got to move Trish talk past the sign off of "Thanks for listening." She needs, you know, the the '80s style synth uh, music in the background, you know, playing her off or something. <laughs> um, you know, it, it is a it is a time of endings, Matt, uh, and and things are things are are are, you know changing uh there's there's new formats uh we say this as as we're podcasting and you know we've got a radio radio terrestrial radio station matt um but yes the the anguish in jessica jones um as these epilogues go she's got i think the most compelling path headed into her second season
0: in Claire's apartment. Foggy is there talking to Luke and Claire explaining that the, uh, the NYPD never made a report, never gathered all the facts for what happened. Thus with a lack of facts, charges cannot be made. So essentially it's all been swept away. Luke expresses condolences to Foggy's loss and Foggy says, it's all our loss. Uh, on the way out, Claire and Foggy have a moment. Following, Foggy feeling guilt over having delivered the suit and helping Matt get delivered to Midland Circle. And uh, Claire notes that Foggy could she should keep fighting the good fight for Matt.
1: Yeah, the biggest issue I had with this scene was, you know, Foggy. Foggy is pretty much become the type of lawyer that should be expected now with Jerry Hogarth. Um, he's, he's made Claire disappear. She is essentially the bomber of this building's destruction. And and yes, they were taking out the bad guys and a criminal organization and all of that. Um, but maybe some kind of, Cost and and penalty maybe hey i got you off you know with with this rather than oh i swept it under the rug because that's the law firm i'm at now the the attorneys of dewey cheatham and howe
0: Pete in the hospital Misty is awakening uh she sees Colleen there Misty says that she feels not quite whole which is uh, appropriate given the uh the the loss that she has occurred or that she has endured rather Colleen is sympathetic but Misty quickly regains her spark she says it's the job kind of you know this is what happens sometimes Colleen explains that this hospital is one of Danny's connections Like he owns the hospital, like maybe Danny can help, hint hint, Luke Cage season two. Um, I don't feel pessimistic about the scene at all, though. It really has a very, very nice, clean sense of simple momentum pushing this story aside to its next starting point, presumably in either Luke Cage or Iron Fist.
1: Yeah, and it's the cementing of the relationship between these two characters, um, the establishment that it's Danny's hospital that the tech exists. Matt, we can rebuild her, <laughs> um, and now it's just a question of uh, you know when they when they do that.
0: We move to a bar in Hell's Kitchen jessica jones is drinking alone luke comes in and checks in with her she looks devastated she looks depressed this again is kristen ritter at her best i would argue it's kristen ritter's best scene in the entire miniseries wow uh, luke is similarly quiet and emotionally raw the unspoken emotional connection is palpable without being cheesy or without being sizzling luke notes uh, perhaps a tad suddenly that uh, that the earth had to shake for them to reconnect. Jessica starts to apologize for their past, but Luke notes they have to move forward, Pete. Always forward.
1: You had to wonder how they would try to bring them back romantically. Obviously, they've been through quite a bit, both in her series and now in The Defenders. But he's with Claire, and uh, I think that's certainly something that's got to be resolved rather than a, Hey, uh, you know, Rosario Dawson's not back in this series. And, uh, you know, she, she's off in the Delta quadrant, you know, uh, chasing, uh, you know, Gash's anomalies or whatever. I I think they've got to resolve that in a satisfying way, um, to bring these characters together who, again, like, colleen and misty have this connection and this history
0: well luke and jessica they get their drinks they salute their silent past luke says that uh, he hopes that she stays in touch she has friends and one of them is in harlem suggesting or or you know making me hope if nothing else pete that we might see her appear in luke cage season two uh, I Jessica. mean, boy,
1: they really filmed close together. So I have to imagine that one will show up. You know, he he cameoed in hers. It would only be right, Matt, for uh, old JJ to uh, step up on one two fifth Street.
0: Well, Jessica suggests a coffee, and at this point, mm-hmm. Luke and the audience just pause for a moment, and yes. uh, and yeah. Wait, did you, do you know what that means? (laughs) Uh, I know what it means. You
1: don't drink coffee, Jessica. Um, (laughs) And and I think there's, there's a little bit of that too. You know, you've watched Luke Cage and you know, coffee doesn't mean coffee. Um, And uh, you know, we should, we know she's a drinker and uh, the idea of her doing that, the only time we've seen her drink coffee, it was Irish. Um, so, you know, for him to look back and, and that pause, it's, it's great. It's, it's a wonderful moment between, uh, two performers. Um, Mike Coulter has just done such a wonderful job. Can we stop and acknowledge, you know, he is Luke Cage, um, you know, and, and to segue here to, to Danny shrouded in the, in the green light here of the Chikara dojo, um and Colleen to to come back and and check in with Misty that that she's you know hanging in there that she's tough, um, you know it, it is something, but even Danny's made strides. Uh,
0: Pete, I think that what we get from the the next scene here in the Chikara dojo. I mean it's Danny fully formed he starts out meditating alone Colleen returns yes there's a faint sad green in the air it it certainly is far from the neon electric bugaloo of the first two episodes (laughs) but we see Danny mature humbled change complete Jeff Loeb you were right all along and what has become clear to Danny not himself but New York which is starting to feel like home at this, Colleen kisses him, and it truly feels like such an earned, honest moment.
1: Yeah, um, to to get the two of them together and and to have him come around to be settling in in a way that did not feel authentic in Iron Fist and the way that they left it. Uh, you know, on the search of Kun Lun, we've we've come full circle here. Um, And that's the conversation with Gao, uh, notwithstanding that, uh, you know, he he tried to get away from his parents. He thought there was something greater out there when it was here the whole time.
0: Back to Hell's Kitchen we go. Jessica arrives on her apartment slash office floor uh, with a bottle of booze. Uh, She notes that her door is open at the end of the hall. She kind of repositions the bottle, ready to swing it. But there's Malcolm. He's plugging bullet holes. Uh, He's proud of his work. She says that she doesn't hate it, showing half a grudging smile. And Malcolm says it's almost like she's back in business. With that, she tears the paper off the door. The Alias Investigations logo is back, and it is an absolutely wonderful moment.
1: It is to get her back into a situation when we left her, um, with, uh, season one of Jessica Jones, something we weren't sure we were going to get more of a show on its own, um, to have her be, you know, checking the voicemail and, and getting these cases Um, But but she's kind of been slow to follow up and and this is her back in business, which gets me to kind of question why we're going to bring David Tennant back in season two. But um, I'm guessing it's it's some uh, flashback stuff and nothing going forward.
0: I guarantee you, David Tennant may be filmed three days and it's flashback stuff or it's kind of. Perceived flashback, you know, bad dream, PTSD, yeah. nightmare, kind of, kind of stuff. It right has to it? be,
1: and you know, yeah. you're not going to get a guy of his level in town without people noticing it. Jessica Jones was finishing. They're they're wise to just cop to it, and I think it's kind of smokescreen for whatever else, whatever new story ground they're laying for um, that season, which is going to come out sometime next year, I would imagine, you know, by spring. And then we've got to catch back up with uh, our, our survivors here, Matt, um, struggling with the, the grief of Matt Murdoch's loss. And Karen talks about not moving forward on the story here because all it would take is someone like her to put the pieces together.
0: Yes, Pete, she, she at the pinnacle, one might say, of, of investigative journalism mere months after first putting pen to paper for the first time. Um, it works credit... better
1: coming out of Deborah Ann Wall's mouth than it does on the page is um, the, the caveat I will give it.
0: We even get here, Pete, some wonderful, wonderful exposition well-earned indeed karen reaching for straws she knows she's reaching for straws they're still digging maybe matt made it out certainly familiar words on this week of september 11th and what can foggy say what can karen say they uh they sit they 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 take in the church ambiance with that we cut to night where a profile is watching over the city
1: somebody's on the on the roof matt they were hoping he he was still alive it's it's him
0: but it's not it's okay. Danny Rand watching over that city the fist glowing i mean Danny a fully formed character after Dude. these after these uh 21 episodes you know it's it's an incredible moment and the we green hate... tracksuit and matt
1: we're we're going to talk about it in our theory segment
0: there's there's
1: one piece missing from Danny Rand
0: ooh I can't wait to talk about that. And Pete, we would, because we fade to black in what I think should have been the end. Maybe See, this last scene. I think scene... that's
1: an abrupt cut. If you ended with him just looking over the city, I, I think it's abrupt and I, I think the the editor sided with me.
0: But to me, it is the the least. The least among us, or at least the least among the defenders, now elevated to being the defender of the city, much as Daredevil was back when that show started. But regardless, we get what really should have been, oh, I guess it is a tag scene, but I would have liked it if it was halfway through the credits or whatever. But fine, we get this scene, Pete. A bandaged mat awakening in a Catholic nun's care, then we get a soft end, a, a quiet end. It is a fitting end to a miniseries that has brought more pathos and more character interaction than a single Marvel movie could hold. And indeed, Pete, I think it's a much better finale the second time around. We're used to that big Marvel movie climax of excitement and joy. But to end soft and mellow, these street-level heroes who have defended the city, they shrink back into the shadows until next time. All right, everyone, one more time. Turn to your right. It's time for the lineup. Pete, let's start with Elektra.
1: Um, I, I think part of it is, is predicated in the discussion we'll have in our next segment, um, you know, in the theoretical. But um, if this is the end of Elodie Young's turn as this character, then boy, did they, you know, get a lot from her out of her um i'm not ready to say it's the end but if it is i i think they've made electra something more than she's been in any other project
0: i think the obvious route would have been to kill off electra because that is what the character that's one of the things the character is best known for that they killed her and that was it and it was done with and it was for real um that still might happen but clearly there's still some story to tell in between you know the rather unresolved fate beneath midland circle and uh and what happens to matt and indeed the others that are down there pete let's stick with some of the people that are down there is this the end for madam gow say it ain't so
1: Again, we'll talk over that in the next segment. I just love that she's the one to explain to us what we find out about the uh, dragon carcasses there and to proclaim premature victory for the Hand and uh, to have it literally all come crashing down on her.
0: Surely no... Theory segment for Bakuto neck slashed head removed from body. It is the end for Bakuto, right? What a
1: turn for him to come back in this series and to be able to go up against Danny and Colleen and to end his arc. Um, again, it, it it brings Iron Fist another layer of depth. I think. A lot of people have been uh, going back to Iron Fist as a result of, of uh, the Defenders. I've talked with quite a few uh, people on Twitter um, who are checking it out um, who, who feel it was maligned um, as a series, but they didn't watch it initially and um you know we had to make those calls when we watched it not knowing what the defenders would do for it obviously the the producers and the writers had this this plan they stuck to it and you know boy does it it pay off for that show more than any of them um but Bakudo, uh you know he he's not (laughs) Gao. um Nobody's got the gravitas of Sigourney Weaver, but uh, this actor Ramon uh, Rodriguez—he's—he's he's gonna have some roles ahead of him. I know he's a—he's a you know stage type of guy, but uh, this is gonna open things up for him. He—he he really, you know, filled the bill here, and um, it was delicious uh they kill him off okay but what a what a turn he has between the two shows
0: last on the list here is murakami a character who's whose affect of always speaking in japanese I, I i just loved him as a character despite the fact that he was stone cold killer from the first moment we met him
1: yeah you know you you do feel let down that he was about to throw down with alexandra he was putting the gloves on we've seen him you know disembowel uh, a bear um in a new york city high rise you just imagine what that might have been like um but here he gets impaled and uh we're we're pretty sure he's out of the picture unless you know crashing uh a, a building with all these uh dinosaur skeletons these dragon skeletons that have magic uh you know, substance in them doesn't somehow seep into their remains, and they're all okay again Time to map out where this train might be heading with some theories. Matt, let's begin with the big one at the end there. Um, I'm pretty sure you don't have full knowledge of what you watched
0: apparently not because i saw a a the hope remains moment for matt murdoch that to me belied the, the 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 potency of his not coming back to the police station of his friends mourning him in the church and uh i guess i don't get what i'm supposed to be so excited about please explain pete
1: well, of course, we've seen the character with uh, nuns before. He was looked after by a nun um, in the uh, wake of his father's death, and it was there that Stick entered his life. However, Matt, there is a name that is used here. Did you catch the name?
0: Uh oh, let's see. I there was a name. It was a Catherine. There Maggie. was a name. Maggie. Maggie.
1: Okay, Maggie, is this the
0: big the big Walking Dead uh, defenders crossover?
1: <laughs> it is not, un- unless um, Lauren Cohen is going to play Matt Murdock's mother, because Ooh. Matt, in the Born Again Daredevil storyline, um, he is nursed back to health and reunited with his mother, sister Maggie.
0: Ooh, okay, that sounds. That sounds fun. I still. Who with what plays I said
1: is, is the question here. You, you brought Sigourney Weaver off the bench for six episodes of an eight episode mini series. I guess this is daredevil season three. I mean, this can't be, Hey, you'll next, you know, daredevil will return in season two of the defenders in two years. Um, I guess you're gonna go Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Daredevil, Defender, Season Two makes the most sense. Um who who plays her?
0: Oh man. Uh I mean what, we're looking for somebody in a woman in her sixties, right? Um I mean off the top of my head, I'm at a loss, particularly in the in the shadow here of Sigourney Weaver.
1: I'm gonna stunt cast right now, Matt. Go out and get me, Deborah, frickin' Winger.
0: Okay, I can Go see that. Her. Go get it, Pete. As soon as the podcast is done, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> reach out to her, give her an offer.
1: We've dealt with uh, Matt's fate. He's clearly alive. On first blush, you wonder was was this kind of uh, you know a, a near death experience or anything like that. Uh, this is real. This is happening. What about Electra? What about Gao Murakami?
0: Well, I, 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 I feel like the lack of a, a super clear moment, i.e. Bakudo. I wonder how well it services the story. Uh, there's an open-ended nature that I'm not crazy about. Um, I would consider Murakami dead just by virtue of how the rebar fell on him you know that said i guess here's what i'm trying to say Gao has been so wonderful i don't want yeah. to wish the character killed off but no. how and many she's times got
1: that appropriate level of of slink that you could see her somehow i mean if you're in that writer's room you've you gotta love the possibility of bringing her back and i think you know and, and let's hope that You know, she's in wonderful health that uh, Wei ching Ho can continue to breathe life into this, you know, with each passing scene, iconic villain in this universe.
0: But with both her and Elektra, I kind of feel like at what point do we have the end point? You know, I mean, Gao is going to remain a baddie. If you want to make the course of Daredevil season three be truly the redemption of Elektra and make her make her a goodie. I'm okay with that. Just we can't continue to have Electra as good, bad, good, bad. Okay, actually bad. And we can't continue to have Madame Gao as operating from the shadow, shadow is doing bad things. There's kind of not the advancement of character there.
1: I mean, again, certainly can look to both sides. Uh, you just wonder about the... Iconic nature of these characters and, and do you pull the plug on them here? Uh, Electra having a, a greater shadow than uh, obviously Madame Gao, but you know, the the faithfulness to the, the source material I think is important as well. We leave um, Misty obviously in the hospital. We know what's going to take place there. I, I do though he was beheaded i it's not so much a a theory situation bakudo took 3 slugs in the chest for misty and didn't blink <laughs> um before her uh, her arm came off there um so that was that was definitely something i noticed matt shifting from that not so much a theory as an observation we end with Danny on a rooftop. He's looking out. What's he missing?
0: Um I don't know. He he had the tracksuit, I believe he had the tattoo out at that point. He certainly had the fist glowing. What was he missing?
1: He's missing a realistic style yellow mask in the vein of Daredevil. So I got to wonder if the the man who can buy anything is going to come across Melvin Potter in season two of iron fist and, and get fitted for his protect the city, uh, protect his identity, yellow mask from the comics.
0: I would certainly hope so because it's slightly incongruous to have daredevil in a suit and the other three not. And I get that that's, where they're coming from jessica jones is a reluctant participant in all of this luke cage has no secret identity uh and danny rand they're brought under duress and cover of night and whatnot but let's get some more costumes here (laughs) here's what our detectives picked up in this episode pete take us to the itunes review machine
1: Matt, we had one more review come in before our deadline here. I've refreshed a couple times on iTunes just to see if there were any stragglers. Um, I know we got notice of of one uh, coming through, but as of recording time right now, it is it is unfortunately not come through. So, I'm going to read this review here. Uh, it is uh, headlined Solid Podcast Educated Hosts. It's a five star review. It was left uh, yesterday. And uh, it is from MarMark Mark or Mark Mark here. Uh, There's a lot of M's, A's, R's, and K's, (laughs) Uh, and it reads simply, clearly to educated, passionate individuals who care about what they cover, particularly Marvel television.
0: Well, certainly nice to hear. Uh, All these reviews have brought smiles to our faces. And now, Pete, I know you have all those names in a uh, in a, in a in a bowl or a hat of some sort. The time has come to give away the uh, the daredevil funko pop.
1: These are in a full-on hopper, Matt. Um, wow. Yeah, and I will turn it now, and we will see which name pops out. So in we go here, and I will unwrap it. And the winner of the Funko Pop, Daredevil Mask Vigilante vinyl figure, oh my goodness! It is none other than Crescent Moon Six Two One.
0: Ah, Pete, great to see a uh, great to see a, a a listener rewarded certainly, and uh, I guess on that note, Pete our time podcasting the defenders at least the individual episodes comes to a close congratulations to uh to the winner there and uh thank you one and all certainly for listening we will be back with one more episode to wrap up our final thoughts and feelings on the uh the successful defenders miniseries though pete let's talk about some feedback how can people be in touch with you
1: You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,464
0: followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, looking back, Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. We are Fantastic Geek, Fantastic with the P and the H, FantasticGeek at gmail.com, FantasticGeek.com, FantasticGeek on Twitter and Instagram as well. But wait, Pete, there's more
1: facebook.com slash fantastic geek all one word with the ph like it today
0: again on our pop culture podcast in the coming weeks we have of course the defenders wrap up we have some inhumans goodness we have some star trek discovery greatness we have new york comic-con and reflecting on that on the podcast I mean, my goodness, come November, we got Justice League, we got Thor, December, apparently Uh, You
1: just left Punisher out (laughs) Uh,
0: Punisher, absolutely Okay, that's, that's, and we'll be It's uh... because there hasn't been an official date announced, that's what's fooling with me, I need the official date announced
1: It's coming in November
0: Well, certainly the best of times, as noted before With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our Defenders listeners and give you the final word
1: It's just another day in New York City.